Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. When things feel challenging, how do you know if it's time to push harder or change direction? Does course correcting in life or business mean you're a quitter? And are you using others as an excuse to keep you from making a big change? Philosopher Brian Johnson is back to discuss what helped him make some major course corrections with his businesses. And he'll also talk about the powerful wake-up call that took him three years and $2 million to realize. So the guy I want to talk to is the guy that is, he's out of alignment. Like he knows that things aren't working for him professionally. Um, He can't stand the idea of doing this for another five, 10, 20 years, much less one year. He's looking at what else is possible, but he's got this nagging thing in his head like, well, I can't be a quitter or man, I I went to school for this and I got all these degrees to do this and I, I can't course correct here that all of that would go to waste so there's this there's this nagging sense that he has to no matter what he's got to hold on to this path that he's on otherwise he's a quitter or he's wasting something or whatever and the reason why I wanted to bring you in is because um, I've known you for a long time and I've also known that you've you've been really good at course correcting you've you've built several businesses and there's been times where you've just been really clear like hey this isn't the path for me anymore and I'm gonna switch and it wasn't quitting it wasn't pulling out you, you always were connected to something deeper so I wanted to understand that a little bit more and then I also wanted to know you know when's it time to dig deeper like what if things are flat and things aren't working out so well, when is that an indicator that it's time to to kind of put some more skin in the game and and find find that edge there? Because I've found that 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 can be true at times too. When things are flat and we don't like how things are going, that's an indicator that we could actually lean into it a bit more. So I wanted to pull from your experience. It's not that your experience is what everybody should do or anything like that, but just what you've learned uh, over the course of the years, um, just because you've actually done this. And, and there's a lot of people out there that are, that are on their path and they think they're stuck and they've got to stay that way. I want to help them start to gauge how they can make a course correction. Does that make sense? Oh, dude, this is so good. Yeah. Uh, excited about exploring the ideas. And as you said, I don't think my path is it per se, but I think that, uh, I'm excited to explore some kind of 
big ideas and hacks and just things that I think make sense to consider as we all navigate um, the course corrections and excited to go wherever it leads. Let's th- then let's bring a little real world context here because this time a year ago, you and I had had dinner together and, and Theos was a company that you were running at that time and it's no longer the company you're running. You went through a process around that time and decided to, there was a lot of energy around that. You had a lot invested in that and you were bringing investors on and I could imagine it was really hard to switch gears and say that you weren't going down that road. What can you share about the process that that you learned through that and what had you switch gears? Yeah, well, in Theos Enterprises is still kind of the the, the basic business that owns everything that we're doing. Um, but you're absolutely right. This time last year, I was contemplating blowing up the business. It was actually a little later than than uh, a year, a little uh, less than a year ago. Um, and you know, the short story is that we were doing a lot of things reasonably well, um, but not as well as I think we could have. And the hardest part for me was even considering doing something different. As you said, we had a ton of momentum. We raised two million bucks on a particular vision and strategy from some great people um, in a whole long conversation there about the effects of of those responsibilities, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, But it just became clear as I was willing to open up to the possibility that we needed to do something different Mm -hmm. than we were doing. it became really clear. And it would have been easier for us had it been completely not working. It was it was working, not quite the way we wanted it to, but but working enough to to go out and, and to continue to push it. Um, but again, as I stepped back, which was the hardest part of the process, to even entertain the possibility of doing something different, right? And to have that flexibility, it just became clear that that we were trying to do too much. And when I was really honest about it, it wasn't even what I most enjoyed doing, and from a personal perspective, I became an administrator rather than what I feel called to do, and which became really clear, which is a teacher. Um, so that's kind of a super and just quick to kind of put some context. Yeah, that that Entheos was where you were bringing in other teachers, sharing their big ideas, and you now were running a company instead of doing what you really love to do, which was teach, be the guy that that was in the trenches actually teaching. Well, here's and here's the context actually that I realized. I sent you Stephen Pressfield's War of Art. You interviewed him. And then I said, hey, I'd love to connect with Stephen. I don't know how it came about, but you connected the two of us. <laughs> he and I had breakfast maybe five years ago now or something. And um, during that breakfast, we talked about classic Greek philosophy and my background and his background. And, and he asked me if I ever considered creating a modern-day Plato's Academy. A modern-day Plato's Academy. And I thought, gosh, that's cool. Because I had given myself a PhD in how to live, optimal living, et cetera. And then I proceeded to get to answer that question completely incorrectly. And without comparing myself to Plato per se, what I did was rather than do what Plato did, Plato was the only teacher. I went out and I found 250 teachers to be part of a virtual academy, right? And I became an administrator, not a philosopher. And it took me $2 million in almost three years to realize that I made that mistake. <laughs> and, and I got to the point where literally it was just a huge facepalm where I, I, for whatever reason, that reality that I, I completely got the question wrong, which was the inception of our business, it catalyzed everything. Yeah. Um, and so when I made that distinction for me, and I have goosebumps as I shared, it was like a lightning bolt. It was one of those, wow. And then it, I have, I've been through this enough times where I've, I've built and sold two businesses. Each of the prior two had significant pivots. We, we nearly, we completely changed one business 
after spending a lot of time and money, and we significantly changed the other. So I had seen that this is how it works. It's Hero's Journey 101. So I had developed the mindset to quit beating myself up about it mm-hmm. and to look at it with, with more of an experimenter's mindset, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing for all the guys listening is it's not about you. Nothing's wrong with you per se. It's a condition of the game. And life is one big experiment. The more you run, the better, Emerson tells us. And if we get locked into one way of doing things, we're going to suffer. If we aren't willing to step back and say, hey, is now a time to lean in harder, as you were saying, or is now a time to look at it and literally blow it up and recreate what is more authentic using the wisdom we gained, I learned a ton from, from the things we did right and the mistakes that we made in, uh, in the prior iteration, and then ruthlessly focus on what needs to get done now and just execute the strategy that you've now decided is the one to go with. Obviously, I said a ton there, and we can unpack that in an in a infinite number of ways. Well, I just I, I, the thing I want to underline, right? If, if I'm going through my life and I'm looking at it like, I've got to get this right, I've got one shot, then I'm not experimenting. I'm not out there collecting data and seeing what works, what has me feel more alive, what has me feel more fulfilled, what has me feel like where I'm having the juiciest experience or the impact, whatever the, the currency is. Um, so I'm going to lock down. I'm going to make sure I'm getting it right. It's more of a fear-based thing. I got to, you know, I'm playing defense a lot instead of asking those big, important questions. Um, and then the other part of it is I'm curious for you, like, cause you know, you, you have this ability to really kick it in the ribs and, and you could have said, you know, things weren't going the way that you wanted or they, they could have been better. What had you decide? And you, and you kind of touched on it, but I mean, was there a point there where you were thinking, no, we just need to push harder? Because that, that's what I hear a lot. It's like, man, I just need to double down on this and push even harder instead of saying, I'm going to pick another path. What was the, yeah. talk about that. Well, the cool thing is, is that I was all in, as you know, I don't do things kind of sort of almost, right. Right? right? So I was all in and we set some really aggressive goals for what would have been this year, right? So in 2014, we were setting 2015 goals and we were just, we were as audacious as I always am. And I leaned in and I really was involved in supporting those key initiatives. And as I leaned in, it became more clear to me that it just wasn't quite the right path. So how you doing over there? (laughs) I was drinking some water. It went down the wrong height. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Keep going, brother. Um, So I, I didn't leave much on the table. So, so for me, as we were looking at the next year, I'd raised a couple million, but to execute the strategy that I had mapped out, we were going to need to raise at least another million, probably two. And as I did the, the kind of algorithm in my mind, both rationally and intuitively, I, I've been doing this for 20 years now. So there's a certain level of, of, um, both of those at play, you know, of just what's really the right thing to do here. Um, it just kind of crystallized as, as the time to pull back. But I, I guess I'd want to hear that part where you said, look, I'm not teaching. I'm not doing the thing that has me feel alive. Yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely a big part of it. It was kind of a nexus point of, you know, we're trying to do too many things here. We had three different business units going and I'm not even doing what I feel like I should be doing. Uh, and I'm spending all of my energy getting other people's wisdom out there, which they're all fantastic, but is that really what I'm here to do? And as those two things rubbed up against one another, it became more clear that we just, we just weren't quite aligned and quite on path. Um, and like I said, there was kind of a, a moment of just clarity at which point, um, it was actually really easy. The hard part for me was opening up to even questioning the path. But once I did that, um, things kind of fell in place. And then of course there's some unpleasant things you need to do when you're 
um, you know, rebooting, pivoting and all that good stuff. Uh, and that just is what it is. Then it's bring it on, um, do what needs to get done and take the next steps. Come back to that moment when you started to just even be able to question it. I, I imagine that that wasn't the first time that you were considering that things were out of alignment. So what were some of the, the indicators to you that, Hey, wait a second, maybe something's a little off, you know, going back months or year, you know, a year or so before, what were you, what was the information that you were getting and just kind of like, okay, interesting. And maybe putting it away. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, there's always been a, an interesting, um, question for me of what am I, am I a philosopher or am I a CEO? And I've spent half of my, you know, time over the last 20 years being in one role and the other half in another role. Um, there were, there were, you know, obviously there's always times of, you know, I can teach, but I was teaching a little bit. Um, but it really, it kind of, came to a head as I leaned into it more, which I haven't really unpacked this in my mind, this particular stream of thinking. Um, but there's virtue, I suppose, in going at it. I, I, I wasn't hedging my bets at all. I was all in. And in the process of going in, I think I learned more both about myself and about the business. And I just looked at, at what we were doing business model-wise and, and just the pure economics of that, of what it would take for us to get to the level we wanted to get to. Um, which by itself, frankly, was enough for me to really look at it and say, really, is that right? And then business-wise, I looked at it and said, look, my content was always the most popular, right? And it mm -hmm. paradoxically was easier to sell one teacher's work than 250. Um, and then the whole Stephen Pressfield, Plato's Academy, Face Palm, and you combine those two together. But it was, it was, it was not like I was denying things for a while. I was yeah. actually, it was actually, I was so in that it that was really wasn't part of my internal dialogue. Um, but then it just came to a head over a period of 30, 45, 60 days, I suppose. Okay. Um, but it wasn't really like in this situation that I was denying something and then um, realized it. It actually was more of a, all of it kind of came together in a more discreet period of time and just became clear. And then if we were going to continue doing what we were doing business-wise, I need to continue raising money and betting on a certain model that I no longer believed in. And I can't do that. Yeah. I rose every dollar of, of capital that we raised believing in our vision. So once I had to actually pull that apart, then it became a, wow, okay, well, uh, what needs to happen? You know? yeah. And the decision became really clear. Um, and it wasn't something I needed to think about for another three, six, nine, 12 months. It was something I needed to act on. Yeah. I and think of course I talked to advisors and got their perspective and all that good stuff. I think you and I talked, uh, it was a few months after that and, and <clears throat> we brought up the press field stuff and I think you even wanted to lay blame at my feet for the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> but the press field has that, the, the, uh, the shadow calling, the idea of the shadow calling, what, what kind of describe that to us? I think this is really helpful um, for, for the guys listening, and um, it certainly was for me. So I, I like to kind of combine Stephen Pressfield's shadow calling with Gay Hendricks's big leap. So I'm going to start with Gay Hendricks. So Gay Hendricks has a little four-quadrant model, and for those following along, you can draw a square on a piece of paper, which I just did, and create four quadrants. In the lower right, you have incompetence. It's stuff that you're just not good at. And then in the lower left, you have competence. It's stuff that you're, you know, you're okay at, but you're not great at. Then in the upper right, we have the most interesting quadrant, which is excellence. This is where you're, you're actually pretty good. You get paid well, you know, and, and the world supports you and rewards you for being in this excellence zone. That's right. where most people hang out, right? Who are, who are thriving at a certain level. Mm -hmm. But there's a final quadrant in the upper left, which is your genius zone. This 
is what you and only you can really do. It's you at your highest. And we're not going to ever spend 100% of our time in this genius zone, but it's, it's what you're here to do, right? So Stephen Pressfield would call that your calling, and he would call your excellence zone, perhaps, your shadow calling. Mm-hmm. And so Gay Hendricks' whole work in his big leap is you need to make the big leap from your excellence zone to your genius zone. So to use me as an example, me raising money, building a traditional business, and we had huge ambitious goals, is me very much playing in my excellence zone. And I had flashes of genius of, of certain things in business I'm pretty good at. Um, and certain things I'm not good at, competence and competence. But that was me solidly in my excellence zone. World's comfortable with me there. But the genius zone of of being the one not who administers all this wisdom, but who actually distills it personally and shares it in a style that that is my own, um, is the more pure genius zone expression. Yeah. And a much harder thing to to leap into. That's the purer calling. And so as I unpack this, it became very clear, and this is actually kind of ad hoc, that a lot of this became even more clear, um, that I was playing in the shadow calling, where Mm. literally it was a perfect shadow calling. So Stephen Pressfield would say, if your calling is to write novels and you are a literary critic, right? You're in a shadow. (laughs) Right. Go out and, and uh, and do the work you're really here to do, but it looks good. It feels good. It's almost there, but there's something in us that's saying this isn't quite it. Um, and that's a courageous thing to, to open the hood and to look inside and see what's really going on. Well, that's it. I mean, most of the guys that I work with, they're not in some crisis. They're not stuck in their zone of confidence. They're, they're actually doing something really well. And they're in this place like, well, I mean, is there something wrong with me that I'm not fulfilled there? Why, you know, what's they're in the play, like what's wrong with me. And they're, they're struggling to, even entertain this idea that there's a the the genius zone for them. What's that next thing? And and usually when we start to uncover it, they do know what that is. They're just scared. It's a scary yeah. place to go. It's probably it's some somewhere it's more vulnerable. It's more vulnerable to their self-image. Like, really, who am I? Who am I to do that thing? Who am I to step into that? Is that going to jeopardize everything else that I've created and the stability that I really care about? Um, but that's also where they they feel most alive. That's where they feel like they're really giving their gifts. Amen. I mean, that's exactly it. And I think if, if we all step back and I had that honest conversation about if you could wave a, a magic wand and create what you really, really want, what would that look like? Now, there might be a ton of reasons not to do that or to do something similar or different or whatever um, in a long, arduous path to, to get from where you are to that point. Yeah. We've got to open up to that possibility that there's something more um, you know, and then do the basic fundamentals and the things to put us in a position to navigate that as gracefully and powerfully as we can. I felt, well, you know, when I was running my first company, I, and I wasn't fulfilled and I looked around and people were just, they would die to have what I have. And, and, and even I really wanted to have what I had years before. And I really thought I just beat myself up like, man, I must be some selfish jerk, like to not appreciate what I have. It must be something, you know, I just went into this place like, I was a bad person or I was selfish or I was ungrateful or whatever, that there was something wrong. Instead of just owning, there's something better for me. There's a next level. There's another thing to grow into. Um, And I I think I waste a lot of time in that place of self-doubt and just turning the blade on myself instead of, okay, what's next? What's the thing that would have me feel most alive? Yeah, that's it. And I think that's, it's part of what we keep on coming back to is just the mindset of this is how it works. Like this is the hero's journey. The hero battles dragons, as we've discussed before. That's, that's scary. They're not walking on a sidewalk and, and, you know, jumping over a lizard. Like that's not scary. Mm -hmm. Like we're out doing good things. When we're willing to stretch, we're going to experience the terror of this isn't quite it. 
And I like the way Data, David Data describes it too, of he has these concentric circles and the outer rings move into an inner ring, move into another inner ring. And he says we're penetrating those outer rings of not quite itness, purpose-wise, to a deeper resonance on that bullseye. And when we can see it that way, and we can also, another metaphor I like to use is a spiral, and I'm moving my fingers right now in a spiraling motion moving up, mm-hmm. where you revisit similar places from a higher level of consciousness. So in my first business, when I decided to significantly shift what we were doing, my co-founder did, just thought it was a terrible idea, but it was, it, we, we did it. It was really hard to do. We did it. And it proved to be the absolute right thing to do, right? And then my second business, uh, we, we spent years and hundreds of thousands of dollars in that context building something that we literally threw away completely. Freaked out our investors, freaked me out, right? But I had mm-hmm. been there a little bit before, and I was at a similar place from a slightly higher place of consciousness, and we made the right decision, and we pivoted, and we created something significant. And then this time around, I can look back at those experiences and say, hey, this is something similar, and this is actually a catalyst for becoming stronger. And then for me, as I navigated this, and I think a really important thing to talk about as anyone considers making this big leap is, you better be in the best shape of your life. You better think about what it is you do when you're plugged in, and now's the time to do those things, whether you feel like it or not. Mm. As I opened up to this, I doubled down on the meditation, on the exercise, on the consistent rest, and on all the other things that I've learned keep me in peak shape, such that I can actually show up and meet these challenges, and then use the stress as a catalyst. When I interviewed um steven kotler and i think you introduced steven and i as well thank you yeah um you'll blame me for something i'm sure no it's so good <laughs> I, ask, I ask my guys hey what's one thing if you could only share one thing with our audience what would it be and his his one thing and this is a guy who wrote the rise of superman getting into flow he said no pressure no diamonds no pressure, no diamonds. So then I can alchemize the fact that I have $2 million invested. My brother put his entire 401k in me and I'm here, I'm going to blow up the business. Well, there you go. There's some pressure. Let's make diamonds out of it. I'm mm. not going to fold. I'm not quitting in the biggest sense. I'm pivoting and I'm, I'm getting to plan B. I mean, I forget the name of the guy who wrote that, but one of the world's leading entrepreneurs and venture guys wrote a book called Getting to Plan B because mm. no plan A works, period. Yeah. So when we get rid of that naivete, then we can adopt the experimenter's mindset and we get to plan B and plan D and plan or C and D and E and F and G and H and I and J. It doesn't matter. We're going to do whatever it takes for however long it takes to work, to make it work, to figure it out, to succeed. Um, and that's, for me, my growing source of ultimate confidence, which means trust, basically intense trust in yourself, con fidere. Latin for intense trust. When you're willing to do whatever it takes, however long it takes, and to go through the pressure required to make diamonds, then it's like you can simultaneously get more intense and more uh, relaxed into the process, knowing you're going to be in the game long term. Got it. Let, let's let's come back around. You mentioned that your brother there. You mentioned people leaning on you to do this. It's pretty easy to course correct when you don't think it's going to impact other people, but I think that's the biggest thing is is for the guys that I'm talking about there's a thing of like well am, am I going to screw things up for my family I've got people that are depending on me to do this and that people that are working for me that I've got I feel obligated to and responsible for um let's talk about like when when you're going to do a pivot what was that like? How did you approach that? I mean, because I, I could just see where some guys would be like, it's just easier. I'll just double down and, and you know, I'm going to, yeah. I'll be miserable, but at least I won't be the bad guy. 
Yeah, I literally don't even understand that that mentality. For me, my I mean, I get it conceptually, you know, but that's just I have a very low threshold of tolerance for doing things that I don't think are what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. So God bless people that can do those things. I can't I just strength and weakness, right? <laughs> that's yeah. not one of the things that I can do. Um and just kind of pay the dues in the sense of of, you know, whatever, right? I'm willing to work extraordinarily hard. Um, but I, I have a difficult time doing that in service of something that doesn't feel resonant. Mm-hmm. But I think that having said that and recognizing that I just approach things in the way that I approach things, I love Nassim Taleb's idea in anti-fragile. So his unbelievably great book, Anti-Fragile, he basically says, super quick recap, you can be fragile, which means when hard things happen, you break. You can be robust, which means when hard things happen, you can endure and then you break. Or you can be anti-fragile which means when hard things happen, you actually get stronger. Kick me around, that's going to make me stronger. Unbelievably cool, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got this idea called the barbell strategy, which I absolutely employ in basically every aspect of my life. And he says, to be anti-fragile, you need to be simultaneously, imagine a barbell with weights on either side. You need to be simultaneously super conservative and super aggressive. So the super conservative guy, only super conservative would be what you just described of, hey, you know, I got to pay the bills. I got to take care of the family. I, I can't afford to not have everything okay, right? I'm going to continue to be conservative. Mm-hmm. The super aggressive guy would say, yeah, whatever. I got to live my dharma and follow my bliss. F it. I'm just going to do what I want to do, right. right? And swing for the fences again and again. His whole thing and what I believe is you got to do both. So for me, when I looked at it through the lens of my brother and my family and these other investors and my own investment in, in my efforts, um, it wasn't a cavalier effort uh, thing. It was a very well thought out. I think that ultimately this is absolutely the best way that I'm going to create value for my brother. There's no way I'm going to return a zero to him. Mm-hmm. A lot of entrepreneurs do that. They raise traditional money. It doesn't work out. Eh, whatever fail fast and, and move on to the next project. That wasn't my game, right? Right. So then I looked at it and said, well, how do I simultaneously be super conservative and super aggressive? And I think this is really relevant for everyone. And my number one thing was, they got to make money. We got to get profitable. How do I reset the business and get profitable as fast as we possibly can? That's super conservative. And I'm, I still have the same huge audacious vision, aggressive, um, but I'm going to play both ends at the same time. And I think that's what, uh, you know, individuals who have commitments beyond themselves, uh, like I did in this situation, I didn't have, well, I did, I had investors in the prior situation as well. Um, but I think that's, that's a, a frame that I've used to help cultivate that sense of, of power where you're taking care of both ends of the spectrum and not kind of giving up on yourself and also not being an idiot about it. Yeah, and there's also a deeper thing there, which is if we just focus on relationships here, that, that most of us are doing what we do. We're really driven by relationships. We're, fe- we're fearful of screwing things up. There's obviously some people that are like, screw it, I'm going to burn bridges and I don't care. You you were navigating this, and let me know if I got this off, but it's like I'm going to focus on what this is really about um, with regards to the, you know, the relationships that I have these people and I'm going to focus on what that's really about and then not worry about the path so much. And I'm going to have these conversations and update them and let them know what's going on instead of 
just I, so many guys are just fearing the the challenging conversation. You mentioned Gay Hendricks a little earlier. What's this saying? Like everything we want's on the other side of a sweaty five minute conversation. Yep. Um, so, but that's it. That's what they're avoiding. They'll stay in something miserable for the next two, three, five years, maybe longer, because they're they're avoiding that sweaty conversation. Usually, people are are cool on the other side, but it's not. I think it's it's getting out of the one or the other. You said the both and right. You're you're conservative and you're aggressive. But in in this sense too, it's like I love you, I care about our relationship, and I'm going to honor this too. Like I'm going to honor our relationship, but I'm not not at the at the uh, at the detriment of what I'm really trying to create. Is that exactly? Re- it. Okay. And yeah, and I think Steve Chandler articulates this really well, where he makes the distinction between serving versus pleasing. So if all I'm trying to do is please you, I don't want to upset you. I don't ever want you to think anything negative about me. He says, well. That's actually not serving them. So I want to serve my brother. I don't want to please him, right? My brother's super cool. My brother does not care what I'm doing. He bet on me, mm, right? Right. So I'm all, I'm all in. I get tears in my eyes as I say that. Like, there's no way he's going to be mm-hmm. anything but proven absolutely right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have other investors who invested, who invested in a particular plan. And not everybody was happy with my decision. I didn't please everybody, but Mm. I wasn't concerned about pleasing them. I was concerned about serving them. Mm. And they invested in me to get a good investment on their, or a good return on their investment and to serve the purpose of our business, which is to inspire people to optimize their lives, which we're still doing. And I'm, I'm okay with people being upset with me if I feel that I'm living in integrity and ultimately serving them. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction. And I, 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 you know, there, there's a, there were a number of those sweaty conversations and, and it just, that's just part of the process. It's another uh, benefit of gray whiskers is you really get the fact that you can't please everyone all the time. And, uh, you know, you can strive to do your best and to have those tough conversations and to move forward. Um, and, uh, be an integrity through the process. And then for me, I actually didn't get on the phone and call every single person the day I made the decision. That wasn't how I thought I was going to serve them. I talked to my advisors and a handful of our investors, and then I went out and I crushed what we needed to do so I had a good story to tell. And at this stage, nearly a year after, we're going to 2X our business. So we rebooted to zero, and now we're going to be twice as big as we were at the end of last year. That's mm-hmm. the story I wanted to tell. Not, oh, this is what we're doing and how we're doing it. Let me go dedicate all my energy to that, right. per se. Um, well, I just, that, that point there of, of so many of us are, are avoiding the discomfort, they're avoiding the upset, and that's what, that's what stops them from self-actualizing. That's what stops them from growing. That's what stops them from experimenting. What if we expect it? There's going to be times where there's bumps in the road. There's going to be those heavy conversations, and that doesn't mean anything's necessarily wrong. That just means that we're going to be honest with each other, and there's, it's just part of it. It's part of it. Every relationship I've ever been in has got some bumpiness in it, and it, it doesn't mean that things are bad or wrong. It just that's, how, that's part of deepening that connection, as you said, with anti it's how we get stronger uh, uh, is yeah. being able to being able to go through conflict and know that that conflict can possibly help us become stronger as individuals, but also help our relationship get stronger. So we're not going to avoid that. We're not going to just steer everything into the comfort zone. Um, it, it is that mindset shift into like, okay, we're going into these waters. They might be a little bumpy, but this is where we we get what we really want. So what we really came for. Dude, this is so, yes. And this is, I just talked to Kelly McGonigal who wrote The Willpower Instinct and the Upside of Stress. Mm. And she was talking about the research behind um, happiness and flourishing. So I think you articulated it so well. And I think a lot of us think that we should be happy all the time. 
And there's a difference between being happy hedonically, you know, that feeling sense that you think you yeah. feel happy when you're drinking the beer or watching the football game or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The hedonic pleasure. But life isn't about that. And what she said entirely about that, obviously, we want to enjoy certain aspects. Um, but she said there's actually, <laughs> if you want to find out how much meaning someone has in their life, right? True meaning. Find out how much stress they have in their life. The more stress they feel, the more meaning they have. The less stress they feel, the less meaning they have. Huh. And you know, the difference between hedonic, which is kind of a pleasure, that yellow smiley face sticker, right? right. Hey, I'm happy. Versus hedonic versus eudaimonic, right? The Greek idea of flourishing. It's not happy per se, an emotional state. It's a sense of becoming, a sense of flourishing. And you can't flourish and become a diamond without pressure and without challenges and without those hard conversations. And the, oh my God, did I really just do that? Yeah. Yep. I did. I was willing to swing hard and I struck out again. Yeah. And I'm going to step back up um, and get to work. And one other little story um, that gave me power in, in this process, when I was raising money for my second business, we were, uh, I had raised money from a guy who had, was a billionaire, right? And had, had just crushed it. And we're in Aspen and he's introducing me to his friends to talk about investing. And he, he gets up and all he says is, hey, this is Brian. You know, Brian knows how to get knocked down and get bloodied and get back up off the mat. He makes me want to cry right now, even as I say that. Mm-hmm. And then he sat down and said, Brian, tell him about the business. That's all this guy cared about. A billionaire. All he cared about was that I knew how to get my ass kicked, basically, and get back up. Mm-hmm. And so now I look at it and I say, as the tools guys say, bring it on. My mm-hmm. potential exists on the other side of this thing I want to avoid. Mm-hmm. And if I can train myself to reverse my desire and rather than want to avoid that hard conversation or this tough decision, to actually lean into it and to get excited about it, knowing that my potential is on the other side, then I, I my gosh, right? There's a level of power to that. Um, that's where the grit is, right? It's like the willingness to go into the tough stuff and, and deal with it and, and not just, you know, where's the, the shiny, happy, all good all the time, uh, recognizing that the good stuff is, is requires some grit. It takes a uh, poop to make a seed grow. <laughs> you fertilize it, baby. <laughs> that's right. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you bring that up because it's just so easy in this, I don't know. I, I just see stuff that, you know, we want to, I won't point fingers, but there's people that, that want to make this personal development stuff just seem a little too rosy. The, the, the happy motivational stuff that gets put around on the social media or whatever. It's just, and there's, there is this grittiness to it. There is this place of, if I'm really here to grow and I'm really here to do my best work, um, it's not going to be easy. It's certainly not going to be easy all the time. And, and as you were talking about that, I was reminded of places where I was in a lot of suffering because I was choosing to hang out in that place where I was comfortable, let's say, but I wasn't happy. And then when I actually started to engage that process and make the change in my life, it got more stressful, but I felt more peace at the same time. There was a sense of like, okay, I'm okay. And, and, and I'm engaging this finally. There was a relief there, um, even though the pressure was up, but that was, I don't know, it kind of made it part of the game too. But I felt a sense of peace in that process. It wasn't just terror or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's this sense of meaning, of knowing that you have a bigger purpose you're playing with and you're not conceding the game, you know, and, and just crawling up into your hole. I mean, that's, for, for anyone that's anywhere 
on the path of any distance. And if you've listened this far into this conversation, you're on the path, right? Yeah. It's not, we just can't stay within that comfort zone. And that's a, that's a beautiful impulse that, that is, is the essence of life is to simultaneously be present with where we're at, right? And to become that which we're destined to become and capable of becoming. And that push, uh, is absolutely uncomfortable at times. And the more we can see that with a mindful, clear awareness, and then just rub our hands together and do what needs to get done, right? Baby stepping through the process, right? Um, and putting on the boots when necessary, right? Well, let's, let's talk about that because it's easy. We talked about pivoting. We've talked about how you've course corrected along the way. For some, that might be their comfort zone is to when things start to get tough or, or it's no longer fun, uh, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know what? It's just not in alignment with me anymore. I'm going to pivot now and I'm going to pivot again. And, 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 and those are the times I found where it's usually in relationship. I'll just say that, that things are flat, things have plateaued and we're just not putting any skin in the game. Um, and so I wonder if let's, let's talk a bit about the flip side of that, where the tendency is to want to, to make a pivot, let's say, or to course correct, but really yeah. it's just time to, to dig in. What do you got? Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, I love it. I think that's just another huge distinction. And you mentioned relationships and, and, you know, this is obviously we're talking about more than just business, et cetera. The old me would pivot out of every relationship that didn't work because I had the naive thinking that <laughs> if something was wrong with the relationship, if something went wrong, then something was wrong with the relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, the whole idea of it's easier to fall in love than it is to choose to love and to make our relationship a practice. Um, that's absolutely part of, of any great relationship. I mean, we're not, Alexander and I, you go, go have a kid, right? And get your life thrown up like that. And then you tell me how your relationship is doing. You're going to have challenges, period. And the question is, what are you committed to? And how do you commit to the other? And how do you navigate those challenging times with as much grace and and power as you can? Um, and not bail every single time something's bad. Um, so I think there's, you know, nuanced conversations. Um, but I think removing the idea that it should always be fun now, I'm obviously super purpose-driven and advocate that, um, but it isn't always fun. And I'm reminded of, of a conversation with Dan Coyle, who's one of the leading thinkers on talent and how people become great. And his, I think his final idea in our chat was inspiration is for amateurs. Actually, it was just one of the ideas. But he said inspiration is for amateurs. So amateurs wait for being inspired, right? They need to be inspired to take action. They need to continue to be absolutely joyful, happy face in a relationship to stay in it. The professional, the mature human being realizes that it isn't always fun. You aren't always inspired, but you show up with your blue collar, lunch pail mindset, and you do what needs to get done today. And then you do it again. And it's that beautiful, you tell me where you are in the process. I can't, no one can tell us where we are in the process, right? right. Is it lunch pail time or is it, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, when a pilot blows out of the cockpit time. Yeah, you know? time to eject, yeah. <laughs> yeah, time to eject. I mean, that's a highly personal decision, but I think we all know, you know? And I think it comes back to what's universally consistent among those. And what, what I think helps us get clarity on where we're at is, honor your fundamentals. Let's not make this some weird, you're freaking out and you're, you're not eating well, you're not resting, you're not exercising, you're just chemically and, and every other way imbalanced. Get yourself as healthy as you can, such that you can look at this with as healthy a perspective as you can and control the things that are within your control. Mm. It's a big kind of premise of mind. When things yeah. are out of control, either 
because of outside circumstances or because you're now opening to it and you're making them out of control. They used to be okay. Now you're challenging them. Right. That's when I think we need to go so focused on what we can control, uh, such that we're in the best place to kind of make that distinction between, uh, where we are and what we need to do next, you know? Yeah. I, I like to tell this, uh, it's pretty common. I'm, I help guys through like a transition, let's say. And so they're expanding, they've been uncomfortable and they're freaking bored. And now they're like, okay, I want to try something new. Great. We're trying something new and we're getting into it. And now it's not fun anymore. I told them it wasn't going to be fun anymore. <laughs> and then they start to tell themselves, I don't think I want to do this thing anymore. I was like, okay, great. And what I've noticed is that it's usually the time where they're doing a lot of pushing. There's a lot of energy going out. There's a lot of this out, 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 and there's not a lot of return yet. And yep. and they're judging everything based on that experience. And I like to just highlight so you don't have you haven't you haven't gotten to the point yet where the energy's coming back and you're able to actually see if you enjoy this. It's like the musician who hasn't really learned how to play the song yet and see what it feels like to play the song or to get up on the stage and to actually feel that. And so there's this speculation. And I'm always like, let's see, let's get to that, let's get mm-hmm. to, let's, whatever that milestone is where there would be yes. an energetic return, where there's money coming in, there's acknowledgement, there, whatever that return of energy is, let's see. Because usually once they experience that, they're like, oh, I want more. You know, yes. let's, let's, let's take this up. And so I was like, that's, if, if there's a guy out there listening, he's not sure about whether to, to reach up and pull the, you know, the eject uh, lever or what. Um, get to that place where there's an energetic return. And if you're in that place and the energy's not quite there, that's another conversation. But a lot of times they're just in that push, push, push. There's an outward thing and there's nothing coming back. Um, go see. Let's see. Let's see what happens when you got that energy coming back your way. Yeah. And then uh, I'm reminded of, of uh, this idea of a, of a U curve. I think it was Todd Henry who wrote a book called Die Empty. He says that imagine a U curve, right? And you can imagine it as like a canyon, right? So you're sitting at the at the top of a of a canyon and you're looking across to the place you want to get to, right? And you're like, oh wow, it's beautiful over there. I'm gonna go over there and it's gonna be awesome. A business relationship, whatever. And then you start and you have to go down into the canyon to get to that place. And you move down and all of a sudden you can't see. You, now you're in the in the weeds, right? And the trees are blocking yeah. the view of what you were so excited about five minutes ago or five days ago or five weeks ago, right? And, and his whole point is, dude, that's just how it works. You got to be willing to go down there and then keep on hustling and move up to the top. And one of the things that, that I love to do is what you alluded to, which is create, you didn't quite say this, but, but hinted at it, create small wins, get the return. That's it. Um, which is how I framed it too, business wise is I want our first new paying member. And then I want our 10th and then I want our hundredth and I want our thousandth and I want our 10,000th. That's all I care about. Let me go create small wins and that progress, research is unequivocal. You need progress. You need to feel like you're, you have momentum as you pursue it while knowing that it's not always going to feel uh, fun in the process. Yeah, but I think that's how you do it. I, and I, 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 consequently, I think that's why Americans don't like soccer is because there's no small wins. Right? It's like in, in American football – you get to there's a first down every three downs, right? It's like it's like we we're trained. It's not always about the touchdown. It's not always about the end of the game. It, it's these little places, and and everything's a little battle, and and there's small wins along the way, and and I think that's what makes it fun to me. Like that's where it's like let's see, let's 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 make it a little game to get to this point and see how you how you're doing there, and and uh, we'll have more information. We'll be able to make a better decision. Well, I think it's cool, and I think Americans would benefit from the international appreciation of the art of soccer, and it's more process. It's not always outcome. The goals happen infrequently. We, you know, kind of that that 
need it all now instantaneously and climax after climax after climax. You need to see goals, 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 right? There's something about being able to step back and see it's a process. And then you can appreciate the art in a great touch. Like that's amazing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's uh, always that, that yes and, and then to celebrate the little things in, in our daily lives. And to, I was just before our call, like I do a little certain things exercise wise every day. Right. And I love checking them off. And I was, I was rowing today. I row a thousand meters every day. Right. And I, I love marking it off, not at the end of the day, but while I'm doing it, that's mm-hmm. a little win for me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I do my burpees, that's a little win. Awesome. There we go. That's like me to do that. Well, right. Yeah. And to create these tiny little micro wins, um, rather than always, it's kind of that conservative and aggressive, right. To right. be present and appreciate where we are right now. And strive for something even bigger and better, you know? Yeah. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. It's always so fun. You get me all fired up. (laughs) If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.